United States submarine base at Key West, Florida. The dispatch that quoted President Truman's press secretary, Charles Ross, as saying that President Truman has no knowledge of any secret project by this government that would give substance to the existence of such objects. Ross also said that both the Air Force and the Navy deny that such objects exist. Hey, what's up? Hi! Hi. That's what I should have said. I missed it. <laughs> Hi! Hi! Um, I'm out of it because I fucking ripped my finger off and then low-key cannibalized myself. So. I didn't hear the cannibalizing part. First of all, you messaged, you called me and you're like, hey, I cut my finger off with a mandolin and I immediately thought... A, a mandolin is a music instrument not is like a deli slicer yeah and then i was just like wasn't there a movie called like captain charlie's mandolin and then that's what i was thinking um and then i didn't catch the fact that you had probably also eaten the food mm-hmm. that had your yeah. severed fingertip in it yeah so the tea about that hey what's up my name is noelle and i used a vegetable and fruit slicing mandolin for the first and last time the other day and um so it took and the thing is is like i'm not a fucking idiot contrary to popular belief there was about like four inches left of onion to slice on it mm-hmm. so i like was going like that like i had i wasn't even putting my fingers down and gripping it right mm-hmm. i was using like a flat hand and i was like pushing it across but then my middle finger being the longest boy in the barn. Yeah. Slipped out a little bit, just a little bit. And this tells you how fucking sharp those pieces of shit are. They should, they should not sell those. You should, you need to sign up and get certified to own a gun and a food slicing mandolin. Yeah. Because that bitch, the tiniest slip, the tiniest slip. And it happened so quick and it was so fast that when I looked down at first, I thought it would be just like a little paper cut. Yeah. And then I saw, an open wound the size of like a BB. And I was like, "Ah!" and then immediately within a second, the blood started pouring, pouring. And to anyone else handling the situation, they probably would have passed out. But I was, I just put my hand under the sink and I was like, "Ah!" and I grabbed a paper (laughs) towel, wrapped it. It immediately soaked the paper towel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was freaking the fuck out. But then I was like, I, (laughs) this, this shows you how deep dark and evil we are in late stage capitalism because i had purchased all of these delectable delicious ingredients a lot of it from the farmer's market over the weekend and i was using it to make a stir fry a like noodle and rice and like tofu stir fry with fresh veggies and that's why the mandolin came out um I did not want to lose those ingredients and not have dinner. Like I was making dinner for Ty and I, and I was like, so proud. You fed Ty your blood too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So hold on, I'll get there. Okay. I bleeding all over the place. I think majority of it gets into the sink, right? Like a majority of like, yeah, not, there's not blood on the food. But the nugget but of tissue the was consumed by tissue. time. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the, nugget. <laughs> the nugget. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I did look around. So I wrapped my shit up in a paper towel. Yeah. Multiple. I'm uh-huh. holding it because like that's the only way it's not gushing blood. And I'm poking around with my other hand in the fucking onion bits looking for it. Right. Because that's the other thing is like. People online were saying if you could find the bit, they could reattach it, but it's not big enough to need stitches. They could just like chemically reattach it or 
you just have to like do what I'm doing now because it's not like bad enough for stitches, but it's a nightmare. So I'm looking for it and I'm picking apart every I'm picking apart everywhere. I assume it must have been inside of the um, blade still because my weird fucking brain immediately I'm gushing blood. I think I have to clean up this mess. I take the fucking like mandolin blade off and put it under the water to get the like blood off of it. So I'm assuming that's where the chunk went, but there is also a possibility that it didn't. And yeah. it was in the food that I served. <laughs> um, I'm going to be victim blaming. You deserve to get your finger cut off. Why? Why? Because, because you exist in a world where you're just cool with serving your fingertip to people. And I realize that that is like a retroactive <laughs> repercussion, but you deserved it. And even I, and you also deserve it for eating onions. Those are gross. Well, you're wrong. For you that know my they stance. Were, they were freshly grown onions. And it was a sweet. Well, yeah, onion, well now so you have a taste like- for blood and we're going to have to <laughs> throw a net on you. It, I mean, I did do my due diligence to try to find the nub, but it wasn't there, but it was so funny because I didn't bring up that. I just like, it was obvious that I kept cooking. Like Ty knew I cut my hand because he was playing Call of Duty as I'm like, I have to go to the store. And he's like, why? And I was like, I showed him my hand. He was like, oh, my fucking God. And then um, and then I continued making dinner and then served it to us. And it was literally so good, dude. Like, that's the thing that gets me is like, it was the most delicious meal I've ever made. And even the whole time he was like, this is so fucking good. And then we're laying in bed hours later and he talks about like, Maybe it was so good because it had extra protein. <laughs> so like, I you're remember, like, yeah, we're both aware that like we may or may not have eaten human flesh. But <laughs> you're wrong. You are wrong for that. <laughs> I'm so fucking grossed out right now that you're making my <laughs> fucking wine taste bad. Oh, that's disgusting. And I can't believe we opened this beautiful episode <laughs> with sacred this episode. This um, sacred biblical. If we're talking episode. about. If we're talking about biblical shit, dude, there is nothing more accurate than cannibalism. Because what is not the blood of Christ? You know what I mean? I mean, the symbolism of transubstantiation is not something that I'm going to compare to you knowingly serving your fingertip to your boyfriend. But he loved it. He (laughs) He did. You want to know why? Because he's a fucking cannibal, too. You know what? You guys would have been. You guys are going to be the first one. Should we ever get find ourselves in a tragedy where we have to eat human meat? It's like the E sign is going to come up on the car, but we'll have a gas station in sight, and you two will have already started consuming well, flesh. That's kind of how I feel about. I we watched or listened to the episode, the rugby team episode. Yeah, and I was like, damn, they kind of went cannibalistic quick. Yeah, like nine days. No, okay. it was faster than that. Yeah, it was like it was three days. Yeah, it was pretty quick. Well, peace and love I'm to a, them. Peace and love to them, though. It's fine. I'm also a girly who gets hungry. Um, I think the thing that would gross me out the most would just be eating skin because they started off by eating skin. Yeah, but I mean that I, got fried up in my in my um stir fry. So well, they also fried it on the wing of their airplane as it sat exposed in the sun. So you know what? Game recognizes game. Two peas in a pod. Yeah, you weren't even uh, starving. You had full at you even went to a grocery yeah. store and could have just made it all go away. So no, there's no because those were those were fresh fucking farm to table. Um and some would say as 
close to farm to table as possible because it came from me. But anyway, who are you? Um, I'm Chelsea, and I forgot what I was going to say because you wiped my brain slate clean with your terrible story. So it's not terrible if it's reality. Also, so cursed because I had to like <laughs> type all day. It was a nightmare. Hello. Yeah. Hold on. Oh my god, go fuck off! You're answering you the me? phone. Will you do me a favor right now for the podcast? Okay, hold on. Let me put you on speaker. Oh my god, I'm surprised Did he you... was on the phone with Oliver. Can you, um, Chelsea, can you hear him say something? What's up? Yeah, I can, okay. I can hear him. I can hear his. Did you funny. like <laughs> the stir fry last night? Yeah, it was bomb. Wasn't it the best stir fry I've ever made? There's a dude in the spawn, but yeah. He's playing Call of Duty right now. Do you yeah. think it may have had to do with cannibalism that it tasted so good? Yeah, there was a little finger in it. Thank you. Chelsea thinks we're weird for eating it, but I said I looked for the chunk and I couldn't find it, and so we just ate it anyway. Definitely um, had it. You didn't have it. A little chewy piece. You're lying. I'm serious. <laughs> this is terrible. Well, um, I wouldn't lie about that. Eating human <laughs> flesh. Well, I'm just glad that I seasoned it well enough that it still tasted good. Yeah, yeah just that was bomb. Okay. Well, thanks, baby. Love you. Have fun playing Call of Duty. Love you too. Bye. So, I can't wait to edit all of this out. So just everything that I just wanted to say real, you know, that's real right there. I know that you might not do that with your partner, but my partner will gladly eat my flesh and it it's the best tasting thing he's ever had. So no, what does that say about you and your relationship? I, you know, I think it says that we're doing just <laughs> fine. So we're not so desperate for fucking vegetables. <laughs> no way. That was the most delicious. I'm that sauce I made. Literally, the sauce alone I can't took even. I can't. 15 minutes. And I had already poured it on the veggies at that point. I was like, fuck it, girl. <laughs> but like, a, we've talked about this for like a fucking fortnight, and it is not sounding any more appealing at all. It's so gross. I just needed Ugh. everyone to know that my partner enjoyed my flesh and it wasn't weird. Like Chelsea said, it was cool. It was cool like that Timothy Chalamet movie where they're cannibals. Cool, sexy. Anyway, talking about sexy and cool, let's talk about religion. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh my God, hold on. <laughs> so, the God, the, my palette for storytelling has just been tarnished. Um, the comparison between the stories of the Bible and those of Greek and Roman mythology is indeed a fascinating one with many layers of complexity and cultural significance. Some it would say it's all the same. <laughs> some would, actually, especially after this episode. Um, and it's true that for many Christians and followers of religions rooted in the Bible, the stories within are, are more than just tales. They're seen as historical accounts that form the very backbone of their faith. And these narratives about influential figures, pivotal events, and foundational concepts are deeply intertwined with their religious identity and understandings of the world. On the other hand, Greek and Roman myths are often viewed through a very different lens. Typically regarded as fictional and fantastical, these stories are filled with extraordinary characters and events that stretch the imagination. And it's not uncommon for people of biblical faith to view these myths as purely imaginative creations, lacking the historical or spiritual weight of biblical stories. But just as the Bible reflects the values, beliefs, and historical understanding of its time, 
So do Greek and Roman myths. Yeah, for I, Yeah. Pause. Paused. Do you think that the reason why now a majority of people look at Greek and Roman mythology and think it's like fiction, like think in quotes, I mean, like know that it's fiction. Do you think that there was a time where that wasn't the case and it probably was flipped when Christianity became like the dominant religion and they started to like proselytize? That it sort of, and That's there was like, what happened. Yeah. there's some sort of like marketing and like, isn't yeah. that so strange? I, my brain is firing off on all cylinders right now because it's so, I say it's so strange, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's the same shit we do today. It's, it's marketing. It's storytelling. It's yeah. It's we're mar- actually you're marketing your fucking terrible food to me, even though I'm not buying it. And now you're probably going to come wipe me out in my own home and then move in. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just going to serve you a little no, bit of my food, it, my skin to prove a point, but um, um, much like colonialism, Christianity moves into regions and takes over the identity of that. And we're, but it's, it's almost like more hypocritical than that. Like that's the demon part of it. But the hypocrisy is that they were selling the same product. They were just making you believe you were buying something different. And like, that is the marketing scheme of the takeover of Christianity and of the fictionizing of Greek and Roman mythology, because people used to believe in Greek and Roman mythology, just as much as religious people believe in God, Jesus, Mary, Mohammed, whatever. But there came a point when they were told, no, your guy in the sky is fake. My guy in the sky is real. And it's so crazy that you could be, but not crazy because it's the same marketing techniques we use today when you go to the store and buy fucking shampoo, that you're showing the same fucking thing, but it's all about how you present it, that one will be believed and the other won't. It's just, it blows my fucking mind that like, this is honestly, at the end of the day, core marketing marketing and storytelling to market go to market has been a part of human history and civilization since we've been secular and and monotheistic yeah yeah um hitting the nail on the head with that one um because really all all they really are all religions are are windows into the worldviews of civilizations um it shows how people make sense of the world around them it shows how people can explain natural phenomena and even convey moral and philosophical lessons. Like it's just kind of a roadmap of how an overall religious society functions. And when we draw parallels between Greek mythology and biblical accounts, we begin to see really how many similarities there are and how we like modern religion versus ancient societies understand their world. Um, Both sense of narratives really grapple with themes like creation, morality, and the human condition, and they reflect their respective societies' efforts to explain and make sense of the universe they inhabited. For example, um, a super common story that surpasses space and time are the stories of the Great Floods, Um, and we get these in Christian traditions and also in the Greek and Roman faith. And so they basically just acknowledge there was a catastrophic event that shaped early human history. And obviously in the Bible, God was grieving human wickedness, decided to flood the earth, sparing only Noah and his family who were instructed to build an ark. But similarly, in Greek mythology, 
Zeus was angered by human impiety and decided to flood the earth and uh, because he thought that humanity had gone off the rails. There was toga parties, the Olympics, Greek tragedies. And for all of this, he blames Prometheus, a crafty titan who dared to create humans and then had the gall to steal fire from the gods for them. And Zeus decided, when it was time for a hard reset, that a great flood was a great way to wash away all of humanity and start afresh. But Prometheus, who was always a few steps ahead, caught wind of Zeus's cataclysmic flood plan. Um, He warned his son, Deucalion, about what was going to happen and gave him the ultimate survival tip. He told him to build a huge wooden chest. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> they really Deucalion, said copy paste. Yeah, yeah literally, it's copy paste. Copy so, paste. It were oh man, the the number of stories we're going to go into. But the way that, with, but this this is a good example of copy my homework, but change it a little bit. Yeah, because it wasn't an arc; it was a chest. Yeah. Um, and Deucalion and his wife. Pyra got cracking and built themselves this massive chest. And as the floodwaters began to rise, they swallowed mountains and cities alike. And our dynamic duo climbed into their ark, I mean chest, and rode out the storm. <laughs> and for days and nights, they floated on an endless sea, the only blip of life in a vast watery wasteland. And finally, as the waters started to recede, their ark, I mean chest, found a resting place on the summit of Mount Parnassus. And Deucalion and Pyra stepped out into a world washed clean, realizing that they were the only ones left, and the weight of human survival is on their shoulders. So in their quest to repopulate the Earth, they kick-started Humanity 2.0 and sought the guidance of the Oracle of Themis, the Titan goddess known for her wisdom. And she hits them with very cryptic advice. Throw the bones of your great mother over your shoulder. And after some head scratching, they figured it out. The great mother is Mother Earth and her bones are the rocks scattered around them. So they started lobbing stones over their shoulders. And here's really where it deviates from the myth of Noah, where everyone just walks. Mm-hmm. Um, Deucalion's stones turn into men and Pyrus stones transform into women. But, uh, that's yeah. cool, though. I mean, cute? maybe maybe they I, <laughs> I'm joking. They maybe they were being a little uh, G-rated. And so rather than like the fucking, Greeks. Yeah. No. But just for this one story, they were like, yeah. so it's stones rather than fucking. Yeah. The stones were just semen. Um, but let's oh. dive into some other <laughs> familiar favorites. Um, there are prophecies about the overthrowing of rulers, which are very common in both sets of narratives. In Greek mythology, Cronus is prophesied to be overthrown by one of his own children, leading him to swallowing his offspring, only to be eventually dethroned by Zeus. In the Bible, King Herod, upon hearing the prophecy of the birth of the king of Jews, Jesus, ordered the massacre of all male infants in Bethlehem, but Jesus was saved through divine intervention. And let's get a little culty here for a second and dive into a chapter of history that intertwines the ancient Jewish struggle under Roman rule with the intriguing tale of Dionysus, a figure who very well may have influenced the conceptualization of Jesus Christ. So picture this. It is about two centuries before Jesus is born. And in Maccabees, which just sounds like fucking Applebee's Australians or like what Australians would call McDonald's, like Maccabees. Maccabees. Um, so in Two Maccabees 6-7, a book that some believe was removed from the Bible while others say it was never intended to be in the Bible in the first place, we learned that the Romans were pushing the Jewish people to worship Dionysus. And Dionysus isn't just any mythical character. He is a human-born demigod 
revered for teaching the path to eternal life and taking away the sins of the flesh. And at first glance, you really might think, so what? But hold on, because this could very well be an early sign of Rome's strategy to mold a new kind of savior figure, one more aligned with the Greek of Romans. And the savior could be the prototype of Jesus Christ. I thought Dionysus was also like the god of partying. And wine, yeah. Cool. Sounds cooler than Jesus. Um, So first off, let's talk about Orphism. And this isn't really something that's a footnote in history. It's actually a fascinating belief system dating back to the 5th and 6th centuries BCE. And it originated in ancient Greek in the Hellenistic world. Orphism was associated with Orpheus, a mystical poet famed for his descent into and return from the Greek underworld. The Orphic followers revered Dionysus, a god who also ventured into the underworld and returned, and Persephone, known for her annual netherworld visits. And Orphism is so much more than just a Dionysian fan club. It was a reformation and a reinterpretation of the Dionysian religion, meshing it with pre-Socratic philosophy and reshaping Hesiod's theo- <laughs> theogony. Oh my god, there's so many labels. But let's not forget... Dionysus worship was old news by then, dating back to at least 1300 BCE with written records from Mycenaean Greece. So let's jump into Orphism's heyday. This is about 600 years before Jesus. And here's where things get even more intriguing. Orphism spun a tale of humanity's dual nature, a body from the Titans and a soul, a divine spark from Dionysus himself. And to achieve salvation, Followers had to be initiated into the Dionysian mysteries. They had to undergo purification and relive the suffering and death of Dionysus. Oh my God, like Catholics. And the Orphic tenets were profound. They shaped Greco-Roman culture at its core. They believed that an immortal soul needed purity, the burden of original sin, the transmigration of the soul, and a final union with the divine. It was a spiritual journey from chaos to enlightenment with Dionysus as the guide. Does it sound familiar? That's Christianity, mama. So that's yeah. Christianity. <laughs> and more specifically for the, um, not just the undergo purification, which is baptism, which most Christian religions have, but the relive the suffering and death of Dionysus. That's hook, line, and sink- sinker. Like yeah, fucking. Passion of the Christ. Yeah that like that's it damn no one has ever had an original thought so let's talk about Dionysus a little bit more he was born of a human woman named Semele and Zeus the most high god um and his birth is nothing short of a dramatic cosmic event Semele unfortunately meets a fiery end due to Zeus's divine form but Dionysus survives sewn into Zeus's thigh until he's ready to be born this miraculous birth grants him immortality and sets the stage for his role as a god who is intimately connected with humanity. So his mom burned up alive. Yeah, she couldn't take Zeus's true form. True form as in O-Face? I, just his true form, Noel. Is, he showed up as Zeus and not a pigeon or a swan. It's a okay. swan that he shows okay. up as. Okay. But after he's born... Dionysus is eventually known as a deity who lived amongst humans, not flaunting his divinity, but rather chose to stay more closely in tune to the mortal realm. His power and true nature were known only to his devout followers, with a primary claim to fame as the god of wine. 
But it's not just about partying and revelry. There was a sacred aspect to it. Take, for instance, the Festival of Ancient Ellis, where priests of Dionysus performed a miracle akin to Jesus' first recorded miracle in the Gospel of John. They would seal pitchers inside a temple, and voila, later they would be full of wine. Mm -hmm. And there is no direct story of Dionysus turning water into wine, but the parallels are pretty strong. That's close the fuck enough. That is close enough. I, okay, I don't mean to shit on anyone who's religious. Obviously, you're in the room. But does this modify your religious beliefs more or does it make you question more? Um, No, I don't really think it threatens my religious beliefs anymore because it doesn't impact me if you call uh jesus dionysus or if somebody's like hey you guys probably don't have the full fucking picture and i'd be like yeah you're right man it's like how we talked about it in patreon that one time of like um like aliens if you're like aliens codify your religion because an alien could be jesus well it was like it was like what do i see Oh, we were my yeah. God as. And it yeah. was it was actually from the Society of the Snow where it's like, I see God as my friend, or I see God in the way that my friends call and check on me. I see God in the way that my friend's fucking mom comes to my roller derby bout. I see God in the way that the sun warms my skin. So I think that the interpretation of how I feel religion, this stuff doesn't affect it because I don't fucking know that. Yeah. I know how I, guess, I feel. I guess that's know? true. I feel like, yeah, I I guess talking to you now is different than talking to someone who finds themselves in like a pillar of traditional religion and yeah. traditional religious practices and um, standards. But like, I, I would be I, curious of that. I think if you ask this to a like reborn Christian, it would be slapped with heresy pretty much is what I would say is with just what I would assume. I think that this is um, not looked at favorably. I guess this would be, hmm, that's, I guess that's the conversation I want to have one day is like, Uh, if we can find like somebody who's down to come on and like chat, preferably female. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We were told by a psychic that we can't have men on our podcast. Yeah. So, um, it would be really interesting. I know that a lot of time this stuff just gets slapped with heresy or blasphemy and then it excuses you from discussing it further, which yeah, I think I, is like not fair. Yeah, it's a like, cop out. I, I guess yeah. like I hmm. Cause I, I could see you, I could see if this codified your religion and saying like, um well no, because then you wouldn't really be a part of a sect because uh, I can't. I get because, like, I well, I understand if you're like my Jesus was their Dionysus, was their Hercules. I yeah. believe that it's always been the same person throughout time and history. It's just been different people pick it up and bastardize it in their own ways. Like, I can yeah. understand that version of it, like codifying your beliefs. And I feel like that's not really a conversation I need to have because I can understand where you're coming from in that. But I guess the conversation would be different for me if it doesn't. If you do feel like the stories of similarity that came before yours are heresy, even though the timeline and order of operations yeah. doesn't make sense. Or why 
their guy in the sky is fake and your guy in the sky is real. Like, I guess I just don't, it's, yeah. it's the same as like, to me, peace and love. If I was to believe in God, I would also believe that like magic is real. Genuinely. Magic is real. Noel. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I would like believe those two things wholeheartedly. Like if I really believed that demons could possess someone's soul and make them like kill and like murder and do devious things in the name of the devil, if I truly believe that in my heart of hearts, then I would also believe that like, I don't know, uh, the goth girl is going to like curse my life yeah. and I'm gonna die in the next seven days. I guess the way I would frame it from my perspective is I don't really align myself with organized religion anymore um, because I have a problem with it politically. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if I could find what I had growing up, which was like a very informed place that let me talk about shit like this without fearing going to hell i would be down for it um but right now like i would say religion or the concept of what i believe in is profound and what other people believe in is profound and how do i define the profound i fucking can't so i'm not going to try to and i'm not going to sit here and look at this and be like nope it's wrong yeah. or like what you believe in is wrong i'm like i don't fucking know man just let yeah. me do me i'm not hurting anyone if you ask me about it i'll talk about it and that's about like what i think well, like, I guess I'm always like, down to talk about Jesus, but if you want to talk about Dionysus, we'll talk about Dionysus, you know? Like, don't you even think that it's kind of a disservice to um, slap the parallels of history with the, like, bastardization, like, this isn't true, this is heresy, like, this is lies? Because I honestly feel like if they were to lean into it and use it as a succinct parallel, no, these are related. Look how... Yeah. Like, look how true we are in the word that it's always been the same, like yeah. throughout time and space, it's always been the same story. Like, it almost feels like a miss. And this goes down to the ego, right? And like the, the selfishness inherently, the separate, the separatist movements that divided the church into the different sects it is today. And, yeah. and I mean this in all shapes and I'm talking about everything from um, Judaism to Christianity, to Catholicism, to uh, and every shade in between, like because they had to like separate off and like do their own thing and like oh no our guys' version our our prequels are true yours are not like yeah. rather than leaning into each other and being like no 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 we're all talking like we're all talking about the same thing yeah like because isn't that it at the end of the day like it would almost make it seem more true to yeah, me I, if they were teaching this like from from greeks to romans to current day we've all believed the same thing i would be like well how can you fucking deny it then yeah it's it's joseph campbell's the hero journey and it follows an archetype that has been around longer than fucking the human like an organism cell on earth yeah. uh so yeah i agree with you i think that it's uh it's like white jesus right yeah. Um, it's like yeah. making religion very ethnocentric when it, mm -hmm. it shouldn't be that. And it's like, yeah, I don't understand it. Um, I'll double down again. I said it once, I said it a million times that like born again Christianity or like mega churches for profit. That's like the real evil. Um, yeah. So and I wouldn't honestly, follow along anything that they say about any like dogmatic truth. Honestly. That's also how I know that they don't believe it, that they don't actually buy what they're selling. Because if they did, they would fundamentally know that they're going to rot in hell forever. But 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's how yes. I know they don't actually believe it, it. Like peace and love. If they were firm in their faith, they'd be able to talk about the fallacies of faith without feeling like they're failing it. Yeah. They're, they're going to be exposed. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's cowards, I would say. So, so that's the tea about that. <laughs> so, um, the most intriguing aspect of Dionysus's legend comes with his death and resurrection. In one version of the myth, no he's shit. <laughs> he's dead. Yeah, we're going all the way through 360. Uh, dismembered by the Titans and later resurrected, a story that's echoed in the ritual practices of his followers. They would consume wine and raw bull flesh, which symbolized the body and blood of Dionysus. Of course it did. And they did this to seek a spiritual communion with their god. Hmm. Communion. In, Eur- <laughs> in Euripides, the Bacchae, Dionysus allows himself to be captured and persecuted, only to reveal his true glory later. What, that he was sent here to abolish yeah. <laughs> um, A narrative that, you know, might sound pretty familiar um, and might remind you of Jesus' own journey to the cross. Both figures in their respective stories demonstrate a closeness to humanity, a willingness to suffer, and a triumphant revelation of their divine nature, leading to perhaps one of those interesting beliefs that lie just below the surface of modern religions, that Dionysus and Jesus could be one and the same. Hellsgate is a supernatural roller derby comic book series dripping of blood, demons, and glitter. Saya is a fresh meat skater with a dangerous crush on her favorite derby player. Desperate to be accepted, she attempts to cast a magic spell in hopes of winning her idol's admiration, but instead unleashes a demonic possession that seeks to destroy her and her team at that night's Halloween game. The first issue is out now. Visit hellskate.com to get your limited edition copy today. So let's dive into a little bit of this mythical mingling. Um, Amongst the great gods popping up in the Bible's New Testament is Hermes, a name that might ring a bell. In Roman mythology, he's known as Mercury, but think of him as like the ancient world's version of a multitasking superstar. Because he wasn't just any god, he was a messenger for all the gods. He was renowned for his quick wit, diplomatic chops, and impressive social skills. And in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, he is, spoiler alert, a fucking lightning thief's dick! What? Yeah. What? The fucking He's... lightning thief's dad. Oh. Which is revealed in the movie that came out like 10 years ago, but they're also redoing the series, so. Spoiler alert. Um. Okay, perfect casting. Who are you casting for Hermes? Perfect casting. Well, I think they already casted him perfectly in the movie that came out forever okay, ago. Okay, well, you they can't had... do that. You can't do that. All right, well, then fucking Nicolas Cage. No, be for real. Okay, uh, uh, Usain Bolt, I would cast as Hermes. Because he won all those. Yeah, dude, Hermes is like, he zip zaps around with his magical flying shoes. Isn't Usain Bolt a little old now? Yeah, but like, you're asking me who to cast. You know, you've shat on three of my choices. Nathan Fillion played him in the movie and he did great. Nicolas Cage is perfect in everything that he does. And then I actually picked someone who's fast. And you're like, no, who would you cast to be the god of the god of messengers? A bad Elon bunny. Elon Musk because he owns Twitter. A bad bunny. 
No, he would be better <laughs> as like a Loki. He's no, just a little guy. No, that's why you think, cast it. That's why I think he's like kind of so sexy. He's kind of like everywhere all at once. He's he, oh, oh, <gasps> Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that's fucking perfect. You're right. It's so shitty. I do not like that man, but he would make the perfect Hermes. And for that, I love him. Quick wit, diplomatic chops, and impressive social skills. Guess who got on a plane and went to that one random Walmart Alaska because all the people started an Instagram campaign because they love Pitbull. Yeah. That's Mr. What Worldwide. has he ever done wrong? I don't think just... anything. Other than what? What were you going to say? I don't know. Other than his music? What has he ever done wrong? And his music is not even that bad. It's you, not. He did a collab with Girl, and I, it's fucking bop. The way Still they said collab was crazy, but... A collab? No, that's a collab. Well, I, collab. <laughs> I've, you know what? I've been going cross-eyed reading, reading uh, all these fucking names. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Pitbull as Hermes. Perfect casting, actually. Anyway. That's actually, yeah. Now you got it right. So here's where it gets really interesting, because the Bible is not name-dropping Hermes, a.k.a. Pitbull, for fun. There's a story in the Book of Acts, specifically Paul's first missionary journey, that brings Hermes right into the biblical narrative. Because what happens is Paul and his buddy Barnabas are in Lystra, a city in Asia Minor. They perform this jaw-dropping miracle by healing a paralyzed man, and obviously the townspeople begin to buzz with excitement and wonder. And the locals witnessing this miracle were so awestruck that they started speaking in their native language, exclaiming that the gods have come to us in human form. But when they were saying that, they were actually calling Paul Hermes because Paul was the main man doing all the talking and just like Hermes was a smooth talking messenger of the gods. Um, first of all, crazy. Second of all, Paul was doing miracles. In the Bible, Paul from the Bible was doing miracles. Yeah. They all did miracles. Um, like, like Matthew. I don't know who else is. Yeah, they know. all have like miracles. That they're they like, they're, they're like the Justice League. Yeah. There's a, we saw some. What? Dude, there's so many fucking miracles that the saints do. Like. You saw in Green Knight, like with that lady, like the whole thing is that her pools can literally heal people because but, of her miracle. But, uh, but like Paul uh, saw a man who couldn't walk, told him to walk, and then the guy could walk. You didn't know that? No. Uh, then why does everyone even care about Jesus if they all do it? Well, so he give him magic powers. Okay, well, because Jesus was the son of God, you fucking Philistine. Well, aren't we all? But like stigmata, stigmata is a miracle. I think maybe you're just thinking about it a little bit different of like what some of these miracles were. Oh, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me the same guys who like wrote the Bible, right? Because like they they were the translators or whatever. They're the scribes, the followers, the decide, the twelve, right? The guys who the chapters in the Bible are named after. They were like hanging out with Jesus. When he was preaching, and they could, the whole team could do miracles. The whole team could yeah. do miracles, not yeah. just Jesus. They were like the Harlem Gold Charters, baby. <laughs> they were just throwing basketballs around and making the world better. Every saint that you hear of, every saint, 
has done a miracle to become a saint. But I understand that, right? And it's all gobbledygook. But but the, the same guys who were hanging out with Jesus at the same time Jesus was alive doing miracles, they were all doing miracles at the same time. Uh... Was the book of Acts after Jesus <laughs> died? You're asking me, like, because then who cares? Yeah, it's after Jesus ascended to heaven. Oh, well, then they get the powers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, but like, okay. they have, uh, when I went to Rome, I saw like the chains of like the Romans who like put all, like chained up all the saints, and one of them was like, nope, and like melted them off so like there's everyone's done yeah and his name was chris angel mind freak yeah chris angel mind freak but like um like saint christopher my patron saint like carried jesus across the water but jesus was heavy with all the sins of man but fucking christopher did it uh yeah there's like saints everywhere anyway paul's fucking miracle is this he helped a guy walk again but he didn't get the magic powers until after jesus died yeah axe was after the crucifixion second death Death part uh, yes, two. right. So, oh, anyway, you're you're God. fucking missing the point here. I, Paul did no. a miracle, but they were calling him Hermes. Yeah, they were calling him Hermes. Okay. So after that, yeah, it just makes no fucking sense. The fiction is fictioning. In their excitement, a priest <laughs> yeah. showed up with bowls and wreaths and was ready to offer sacrifices to Paul oh, and Barnabas, yeah. <laughs> the gods themselves. And you oh, can yeah. find this in Acts fourteen thirteen. So there's a scene of ancient rituals, people in awe, and two missionaries suddenly mistaken for gods from a completely different mythology. But the plot thickens because Paul and Barnabas find themselves in another awkward situation. And it's kind of something like out of this mythological tale, but there's a twist. Because the people are ready to roll out the red carpet and start offering these sacrifices because they literally think they're seeing like Hermes and they think Barnabas is Zeus. And they're not having any of it because, remember, these two men believe in Jesus. They can't start saying that they're other gods. Um, So they try to set the record straight and they address the crowd. They say, friends, why are you doing this? We two are only human. We're regular guys. We're not gods. And they urge people to turn away from these worthless things and to believe in the living God, the one who created everything. And you'll find all of this in Acts 14, 15. So... They try to die to like get all the pagan excitement down is like basically how they view it. And they actually are having a tough time convincing the crowd to not offer sacrifices to them. And I don't know. It was just basically mistaken identity. But the fact that ancient Greek and Roman beliefs were starting to get so intertwined with like biblical beliefs shows how deeply ingrained concurrently within the culture how mm-hmm. gods were at that time. So well, I mean, that's why we have all the holidays we have today. Cause they couldn't shake the paganism out. They couldn't shake yeah. the pagan paganism out. So they said, okay, let's make it work for us. Let's give it a redesign. Same shit, yeah. different font. Yeah. Because there's even a new Testament journey through ancient mythology that continues other encounters of Paul specifically on his voyage to Rome He gets arrested. He finds himself on a ship with a rather interesting figurehead. It's Castor and Pollux, known as the Twin Gods. And these twins are part of Greek mythology and were considered protectors of sailors and associated with good fortune at sea. 
They were even linked to St. Elmo's fire, which is seen as a good omen by mariners. And in modern times, you might even recognize these twins as Gemini, the famous constellation and zodiac sign, also mentioned in the Bible. Um, but then in Ephesus, we get the mention of Artemis, a goddess who is deeply revered there. The Artemis of Ephesus, although sharing a name with the Greek goddess of the moon and hunting, was actually quite distinct. She was a local deity with her own flavor of worship, and historian Acts 19 gives us a glimpse into the intense devotion she inspired amongst her followers. So let's talk about some of these linguistic connections, because then we have Thanatos, or Thanatos, which means death. It was the god of the dead. Um, Hades, god of the underworld. And then also a term related to Tartarus, translated to hell. In Greek mythology, these were more than just words. They were names of gods associated with death in the underworld. But in biblical context, these terms are stripped of their divine connotation and are used as concepts instead of referring to actual deities. So you can kind of see how the Bible starts taking over different things from Greek mm -hmm. mythology and is kind of like making them a lowercase god, right? Yeah. Um, and then you get like Aphrodite. While she doesn't get a direct shout out in the Bible, her influence sneaks in through the back door. <sighs> Here we go. Do you want to go to Google and ask how to say no, it? Because uh, I wrote it out phonetically, but I'm still struggling. So Epaphroditus, a companion of Paul mentioned in Philippians, carries a name in and of itself because Epaphroditus means belonging to Aphrodite. However, the transformative power of the gospel changes the narrative because through his faith, Epaphroditus goes from belonging to Aphrodite to belonging to Jesus. They literally just cut it out, the meaning of the name, and changed it in the Bible. They made a linguistic shift from pagan worship to Christian faith. They literally just did an Instagram change a name, kept the same account. Uh, wait. Wait. What do you mean? They said what? they said her name as in belonging to Jesus. So Epaphroditus mm -hmm. literally translates to belonging to Aphrodite. And it and it always did. It always was. That's where it came from first. And then it's in the Bible all of a sudden. Same same name. And yeah. they're like, oh my God, it actually means to Jesus. Yes. Oh I can't, dude. No wonder why colonials love Christianity, because it then, is just the bastardization <laughs> of it all. But where they can't really bastardize it, you start to see other changes where some gods who are worshipped as deities through Greek and Roman faith, the Bible then goes on to present them as nothing more than creations of human imagination, very akin to kind of like demons, oh, um, very Lilith. God. Oh, my God. Um, And it kind of like tells people to stop worshiping them, even though like everyone was kind of cool with intermingling them at that, at that time. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 20 makes it clear that any sacrifices offered to any other God were sacrifices to demons, not to God. The perspective showcases that the gospel's power to liberate believers from what it considers idolatry, and it guides them towards serving the living God. And it's a narrative of transformation where ancient names and beliefs are overshadowed by a new faith in Christ. It's exactly how we changed our our own cultural zeitgeist through COVID by like 
how so many different things took on like new meaning, new terms. We even started wearing masks. Like we made a physical transformation. And if you look at like makeup trends now, much more like clean face, clean aesthetic, not as glitzed up. You know what I mean? Like it was a full on cultural transformation that came down to literally just linguistics. Mm, interesting. But that stuff's all kind of boring. That little chunk, little chunky chunk after Dionysus was just kind of like, there's a lot more instances, but I want to get into the bread and butter of what started this episode. And now, Noelle, if I hadn't written it down, and if I weren't telling you now, I'm sure you would have forgotten what started this episode. No, I remember. I didn't remember until just now. I remember because it was pomegranates. Yeah, because I was like, hey, I just saw a TikTok that said Persephone leads to pomegranate, leads to Hades, which equates to Eve, leads to Apple, leads to Lucifer. Which is so interesting but because I, was wrong. I, was I wrong. never, <laughs> I never saw that. I never saw that. Dude, I never saw I, it either. I've heard. I'm sure you and I. Sorry to cut you off, but you and I have heard so many fucking parallels, and I had never heard that parallel. Yeah, before. I've never heard that parallel either. And it, and it's interesting that that's the parallel because the thing I've been seeing a lot, and it might just be because I'm listening to a lot of Lana Del Rey, so it's like popping up in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. for me. But it's like a lot of symbology. With or symbolism with, I almost fucking almost boondock sainted your ass. I got it. I got it. A lot of symbolism with pomegranates and, um, like divine looking women holding pomegranates and opening pomegranates, and then even in like TikToks talking about how like only women can open pomegranates and eat them without destroying them and like the picture of like what a pomegranate looks like after a woman opens it versus a man and it's like one is like beautiful and delicate and you get all of the seeds out of it and then the other one looks like a ripped shredded body like i've been seeing so much of that lately that's actually really cool i haven't seen that but goddamn, give me a minute yeah. to absorb it yeah same vine i feel um, like same vine Unfortunately, I was wrong with the Persephone thing, but we were almost there because upon further research, we were so close. We just got the wrong girl. So let's kind of go back to the beginning of the universe. Now, in biblical and Greek-Roman mythos, they both start in a state of darkness and void, which sets the stage for the unfolding of our universe as we know it. In the Christian narrative, as outlined in Genesis 1-2, the earth is essentially depicted as formless and empty, shrouded in darkness. And this initial state of emptiness and obscurity is dramatically transformed by the divine intervention of God, who commands famously, let there be light, which brought order, structure, and life to the universe. The creation account in Genesis is methodical, with God systematically creating the heavens and the earth, separating light from darkness, land from water, and finally creating all forms of life, culminating in the creation of humans, Adam and Eve. We know the story. In contrast, we get Greek mythology, which starts with chaos, a concept that is often misunderstood merely as void or emptiness. But in the mythological context, Chaos is more than a lack of order. It is a primordial entity or force, a kind of cosmic womb from which first deities and elements of the world emerge. From chaos comes Gaia, the earth, Tartarus, the underworld, Eros, the personification of love and procreation, Erebus, representing darkness, and Nyx, which represented the night. 
This emergence of order from chaos is a recurring thing in various mythologies and symbolizes the human quest to make sense of the origins of existence. But the motive of a fall from grace due to trickery, deceit, and temptation is a powerful thread that runs through both traditions, highlighting a shared human fascination with the themes of innocence, corruption, and consequences of disobedience. In the biblical account, the fall of humanity is precipitated by the deception of the serpent and the consequential eating of the forbidden fruit by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Specifically, Eve gets the blame for it. And this act of disobedience results in their exile from paradise and introduces sin and suffering to the human experience, blah, 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 blah. Similarly, in Greek mythology, we talk about the story of Prometheus, which involves his deceit against Zeus, the king of the gods. We talked about him a little bit earlier. He introduced fire to mankind. And Prometheus, known for his intelligence and benefactor of mankind, again defines, I don't know why I read some of the same stuff. Anyway, his act of trickery leads to Zeus wanting to have a punitive response against Prometheus and humanity. Further paralleling the biblical narrative, Greek mythology then introduces Pandora, the first woman who gets the box opens it up and unleashes suffering onto humanity akin to Eve's role in the Genesis story. Isn't it interesting though? I wish I remembered the poem, but there's a poem that talks about like Eve was actually the gift to humanity. Like, and it was something akin to like, Eve gave us the gift of autonomy and intelligence and knowledge and love and like all these things. Like essentially the poem was basically saying we were in this brainwashed subservient state and Eve woke us up. And I wish I, I I wish I remembered what it was, but it was so beautiful. And I was like, I don't even, you know, I'm not religious in any way, but I've always had a problem with like Eve being like the bringer of sin to mankind. Yeah. And it's, you know, that, that whole, that whole narrative. And even with Pandora's box, like yeah. oh, a woman's curiosity and unwillingness to follow orders and instructions is what brought death and destruction to humanity. Yeah. When in reality, it's like, or did she give us the ultimate gift of humanity? She gave us humanity. We were nothing but subservient blobs mm-hmm. with no thoughts in our minds and no no autonomy, no nothing. The things that make us human, we did not have. And then she gave us the gift of humanity and all of its pain and suffering and mm-hmm. love and beauty and glory. Yeah, because... And it's so interesting that, like, you look at these narratives and it's, like, women, <laughs> the yeah. blaming of women, yeah. um, and how they've – it doesn't really matter how you interpret them. But just like you said, it it shows, like, the complex relationship between gender, mm-hmm. knowledge, temptation, suffering, and then at the very end of it, like, hope, mm-hmm. liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think it's back to what we always talk about where it's, like, the, the victors are the ones who write the history. And it's, yeah. like – you know how we <clears throat> how we the the theory that uh like god is actually the bad one god is actually the bad guy and the person trying to save humanity was banished to hell for trying to seek out and speak out and save and it's like you could argue the same conspiracy theory of eve 
um, that she did what she did to free humanity um, yeah. and give them autonomy, unplug from the matrix, if you will. And um, that's why she's bastardized as the bringer of sin. Yeah, it's it's like everything would have been so perfect if it wasn't for women, but then without women. Like, the yeah, what would you even the be fucking, doing? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like you said, like, um, women bring about the destruction in man, but then you look at, like, what a man does to a fucking pomegranate and compare mm-hmm. that to, like, what he's done to the earth. Yeah. So it's just, it's always a little interesting to me. I'll have to try to find that poem. I'll, I'll try to read it next week because it's gorgeous. But anyway. Yeah, I would love to. I tried to Google it real quick, but obviously, like, I'm not going to find anything super fast. So, yeah. But obviously, gender roles in Western Christianity, particularly perceptional women, has obviously been profoundly influenced by the biblical narrative of Adam and Eve. And the, st- the story has historically served as a focal point in discussions about the roles and positions of men and women in society. And it's also really crucial to understand that biblical texts have been interpreted and have actual consequential societal attitudes that get rooted in our cultural zeitgeist. Like, we suffer this every day. Yeah. And the subordinate position assigned to women in much of Western history is traced back to these sorts of stories. The interpretation of Adam and Eve has been used to always support the idea of women's inferiority in the exact same way that Pandora unleashing terrors upon mankind, yet also releasing hope. Mm-hmm. It's it's very pivotal in shaping gender roles. And although it's like kind of a a strange way to merge everything together. It's also important to recognize that a lot of these interpretations are heavily influenced by Greek thought, specifically like Platonic or yeah, Platonic philosophy and the myth of Pandora. You get Plato's philosophical ideas, which were disseminated throughout the Hellenistic world and later in Roman and Christian thought, which are often emphasized in views of spirit and matter. And then these pour all the way down to fucking Christian thought. Mm-hmm. Plato's views on women literally contributed to the shaping of Christianity's gender roles. Oh, yeah. It's all connected. Um, And so, honestly, isn't it so wild, though, that, like, a story of parallel between, like, the Bible and Greek and Roman stuff literally just wants to go back to shitting on women? It's, like, such a bummer. Because they all all these stories talk <laughs> yeah. about the inherent flaws of women. Like, there's really no superhero women in the Bible. Yeah. Um, unless they take on the role of a mother. Yeah, but even then, they're even still then it's a like, bummer. yeah, it's still not that great. It's interesting. Um, I mean, if I'm to put on my blue wig and pink pussy hat for a second and tr- time travel back to 2014, I get it. I too, if I was insecure about my role in the world and the fact that I could not give life and um sustain life i could not i could not create carry birth and feed humanity into existence i too would also start a smear campaign yeah right i too would you know and i because it wasn't always like that like we talked about that right like when did it change when did humanity evolve to the point where it had to start having gendered roles um, when did people like the beginning? Yeah, this like was in fucking Genesis. 
like when did but but literally the first woman but like free the stories written down you know what i mean like when it was when we stopped communal living and started moving into you know um more quote-unquote industrialized or you know we had we started farming and we had to create these roles in society because we didn't need everyone um, participating to make things work in the way that they had in the past. And so we were making new roles for them on the fly. And I think that's when you get like this development of these like gendered roles and these um, tiered levels of where you fall amongst them and like your positioning. Yeah. Especially like, I mean, I know that everyone wants to talk about like, oh, women were the hunter gatherers and like things like that. But that was really these tasks between like Neanderthals. It was shared between men and women. Like, yeah, and also there's like even that doesn't stand up. Um, like, there's been evidence found that it was all genders and all ages of people doing yeah. multiple roles. Yeah. Um, and then of course there's like an anthropological explanation for women staying in you know, rather than going out and, you know, hunting, whatever. Um, yeah. If they it's, were the ones producing life, well, they had to also be in the, the centered areas yeah. around all the other, you know, yeah. whatever. It's also like archaeologists were fuck-ups and sexism has ruled scientific discovery forever. And there were times where they just straight up assumed something, a skeleton was male. And yeah. then you go back and you do the DNA testing on it and you're like, oh, this fucking Viking warrior that we've revered as, like, a symbol of Odin for, like, the past decades actually was a woman. So now what do we know? Or you look yeah. at, you, they would assume, what would happen is they would assume if a body died with, like, a king pot or pottery, that it was a woman. And that's literally what we shaped our entire fucking perspective as a society on, was people just not looking at, like, how the pelvic bone set. Yeah, because uh, they've, they've even gone and uncovered like new grounds and found like, yeah, hordes of women warriors. Yeah. Um, so it kind of like, and then they try to say that that's an outlier, but it's also like, no. you know, <laughs> no, uh, well, the, women joined men on the hunt and men joined women in gathering food because everybody was invested in survival. That's so, the key of it. It's like everyone yeah. was invested in survival and everyone knew they had to do their due diligence and everyone knew that each other's roles and the roles interchanging was pivotal to survival. Yeah. The Whereas only like, lazy piece of shit is me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This woman right here, yeah, you'll find that. me buried with a pan because I filled it with wine and I drank myself to death. Yeah. Like, tea. That's tea. That's tea right there. But yeah, I think there was like a point where we moved to a different variety of humanity. We didn't have to work as hard to survive. And I say that like, in asterisks and italics, like work as hard as in, you know, we didn't have to go out and hunt as often because we were creating agriculture. But I think when you like transition to that point, you, you have to like make a hierarchy, right? Cause like, you're like, Oh, you actually don't have to do this anymore. Or we don't actually have to do this anymore. So then what do you do? And it's like, I think that those, those like black holes, built what we now know as sexism and then to explain it in a way that doesn't have to look back and say oh no we chose that is to campaign that a you know god 
goddess whatever like that that's what why it is like oh because they did that that's why you are this way yeah i would i dare i say the only traditional gender roles that we have were made up to keep women from having money or land well i mean yeah for sure like victorian society like they're not that like you read about these badass stories of like women going out and like cutting off their boobs so they can shoot arrows and it's like wait when did the gender when did women stop being warriors? And then it's like, and then you find out that we we're like needed our spelling salts because the sun was too bright. And you're like, yeah, we needed fainting here. couches. Yeah. I would still like one, but whatever. <laughs> I, um, I think that's a good question to propose is when did women stop becoming warriors? Yeah. Or when did the way that women fight not be seen as like warrior stuff? Mm-hmm. Because there's like burials where women died in childbirth and they get to go to Valhalla. Because it's similar to dying in battle. So when did we stop revering what women can naturally do as being fucking war? Yeah. <sighs> it's interesting. Well, I mean, that's the end of the podcast. I mean, oh, the cool. parallels between Greek and Roman. <laughs> uh, but really, it, it, we, we, die, we dove into it, right? Because really, it's just whether it's literally history or allegorical narrative, it just all of this stuff just reflects truths about human nature, society, and the spiritual world. It's always gonna fucking reflect. If you believe in one God, you'll probably have a singular ruler ruling a political party. You you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. monotheistic, and that's like a normal thing. Like if you believe in multiple gods, you'll probably have like multiple rulers running your country. Um, it's just uh yeah, we still fucking do it. You know, I'm at the end of my wine cup now, and I can just feel it slapping. <laughs> um, no, this, this thing is, was full. This is always a fun conversation to have because I feel like there's even that diagram, right? The chart that shows all of the gods and how they line up with like different yeah. people in the Bible. You know, and and it's literally the whole like uh, Jesus is. Dionysus is F. Hercules is. You know what I mean? There's. In every culture, there's a connection, and and yeah. it even and it even showed on this chart like how granular it gets, like how they were they were all like thirty or something like that, like when they went on their hero's journey and blah 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 blah. Like it's a whole, yeah. it's a whole thing. So it's it's a fun conversation to have. It's interesting and also upsetting that the conversation can't continue with people who um, believe in the ideology of organized religions or specific religions that would like try to dispute this information, because I think that's where the coolest conversations have yeah. happen yeah. would happen if they could happen. It's it's um, checking religious pride at the door. I'd say like you're not going to yeah. ever learn anything new. Yeah, just and just being a cunt. Yeah, and just have like have fun, open, objective conversation and um and like not taking anything like as a diss even though i come at it as a diss i also think there's a version where you could talk about it just like don't you think that's interesting that it's all kind of like parallel that they're all kind of connected that they're all like talking about the same guy i mean i don't know maybe they would be like maybe it would be like the same thing you you uh deal with now when you're talking about political parties and you like put yeah. the truth right in front of them and they go no fake and you're yeah. like, but but it's not though and maybe it's the same conversation maybe i'm just hopeful like i'm i'm too hopeful in my thinking that someone could have that objective conversation but yeah um it would be cool too you know it would be cool too because i do I mean, think that there's a version of having those conversations where it just um makes you stronger 
in your belief. I mean, maybe I'll reach out to my old pastor. I'm still friends with him on Facebook. I'd be curious what he would think about it. But um, I think he would be in a similar vein of thinking as I am because he framed my young religious mind, so to speak, with his teachings and like, because yeah. I mean, I even asked him, I was like, oh, what? Because remember when like Zeitgeist came out and everyone's like, mm-hmm. this means Jesus isn't real. And I asked him about it and he was like totally cool in explaining it. Or I was like, when I was first wanting to get a tattoo, I'm like, am I allowed to get a tattoo? And he explained to me like how there's nothing in the Bible against tattoos and people who are saying that it isn't aren't, I haven't read the Bible in the original, original Greek. And like he broke down like the phonetics or like he just breaks it down, right? So, like, maybe he would be cool to lay it out for us, but um, I would be more interested in looking at somebody who's made more of a Catholic faith. To yeah, I, yeah, I think that I think a Catholic conversation would be um, a more interesting one to have because I do think that modern takes on Christianity tend to be more open-minded, um, whereas like yeah. Catholicism is set like a very set specific like it's this way or the highway. We follow the teachings of the church. Period. And it's an older one. So it has more roots. Whereas like you could say the same thing about Mormons, but yeah, you know, they're kind of new, they're new kids on the block. You know, they, they, anytime you try to talk about this shit, they just, you know, they, they put their hands up and are like, no, not real, not true. So I don't know. And it's like being in Utah, picking on Mormons is done. Let's come for the Catholics now. Yeah, the, um, you know enough about the Mormons, honestly. I it's, don't know any practicing Catholics, but maybe I do, and I just aren't <laughs> aware that they're Catholic, and I'll ask on my Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting. It would be interesting, too. I also feel like we're going to have to understand Catholicism a little bit more, too, because obviously, like most religions, there is a... There's like modern version and then there's the what's the word I'm looking for? The it's like a Hasidic Jew. It's like the Orthodox. The Orthodox version, yes. The Orthodox yeah. version. Because I also would be interested to dive into Orthodox Catholicism and self-flagellation, right? Because like that's a practice of it. So yeah. the suffering. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. If you're a practicing Catholic, let us know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. It's not going to be like a shit on you thing because no. obviously Noelle and I have like these religious conversations now and then, and I never get my feelings hurt uh, except when she talks about my breathing issues that I can't control. <laughs> but you know. Yeah, I think I just want to understand, and like I yeah. don't want to be converted. I just want to understand. I think like that's whenever people find out that like two of my best friends are deeply religious. Uh, I think. Uh, you and typhoid taylor and then them being friends with me the most unreligious person in the world and it Mm -hmm. and it weirds people out and i i can get that if like your mindset is that like all we do is like talk about and battle and and that like i'm some cringy 2000s uh horseman of the like the four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse that i'm just like well actually i like it doesn't people's religious beliefs don't bother me until they are um hurting other people who are trying yeah. to live um live their lives and have their own autonomy um that's when i have a problem with it and i think that my need to understand why they have problems with it and why they go out i think like that need 
that need to like satiate and understand because I try to put myself in someone else's shoes, even if I fundamentally don't understand where they're coming from. Right. It's how we all talk about, um, like people are, people become racist in life because they're scared and they don't understand. Yeah. And, um, and they're, and they don't want to learn or they aren't in a place to learn or they don't have the tools to learn. And therefore their ignorance is, is bolstering their hatred and their bigotry and their Zionism, whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. We, we always can peel back and figure it out how someone got to radicalization. There's always a path to it. And that's the saddest fucking part. And the thing I'm always trying to understand is the path to radicalization when it comes to religion. I, I, cause that's the one I, I wish don't I get. could answer that. Yeah. I yeah, wish I, I could answer that. One, that's when I don't get. Cause my path, but to just being more open. Uh, but I also think like, if you can't come in and if you can't defend like your beliefs, whether it's like religious or not, then you're a fucking pussy. Yeah. If you can't say <laughs> it with your chest, yeah. then don't fucking talk about it. Like people who come in and they're like, I believe in God or I don't believe in God. And you're like, why? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. and they just get like all you shut down on you. You're a fucking pussy then. You know what I mean? Or to yeah. just like slap something as heresy and refusing to talk about it. You're mm-hmm. a pussy. Or to like say someone like, oh, well, that was in the Bible, blah, 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 blah. Well, then you're fucking bigoted pussy. So it's, uh, that's how I feel. Yeah. If you, can't, if you can't defend something with your whole chest, then. Yeah, I agree. I wish you would die. I yeah. wish Darwin kills you himself yeah. personally. I wish Gypsy Rose plants a knife <laughs> in the back door of your house and then I can come in and just stab you to death. That's yeah, what and I then, wish would happen. And then eat a tray of brownies in the hotel after. Yeah. Um speaking of eating a tray of brownies in the hotel, um <laughs> we are at Go to Hell Podcast. I am at Noel Fane. That is at Sith Lord. And in the bio of all of our profiles, we have a link there. And that link is to a little thing called a link tree. And if you click into that, you can link out to many things such as our merch, where 100% of the proceeds are donated. We have two campaigns going on right now that are near and dear to our hearts. Um, We of course have the glitter bomb campaign for our, um, dearly departed sister glitter, um, RIP to a real one. Her memorial belt was last weekend, and my mom and Ty and I went and saw Chelsea in it. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, 100% of the proceeds are donated there, obviously, to her family. And then we also have another super fucking cool campaign that is actually inspired by a listener on here. And came from the conversation on Patreon we had about adoption and fostering and the whole entire system of um, animal welfare. And that is our friend, James Mack and the Yuba. Am I saying that right? Yuma. 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 Like 310 to Yuma. Y-U-M-A. Yuma, Arizona. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to hear anyone saying that we took Yuma and put it with a tombstone quote because the West is the West. I've been thinking about, no one said anything, but my inner <laughs> saboteur is thinking that people are thinking it and I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it either because the, the West is the West. It's Arizona. It's all the same. So Get Yuma, out of my face. Yuma, Arizona, the Humane Society of Yuma. We have a super cute little design with a I'll be your Huckleberry cat and dog. 
And 100% of the proceeds are donated to the Humane Society of Yuma, which our friend James Mack works at. So shout out, shout out to all of them. Um, Again, as we talked about, adopt, don't shop, baby. And um, support all of your local shelters and rescue organizations because, damn girl, there are fucking evil bitches out there. There are evil bitches out there. My... I hate that I now follow that like lost dogs, like lost and found dogs and cats of Utah or whatever. It breaks my heart. It fucks me up. It fucks me up bad. So anyway, we have two amazing campaigns that you can get merch for and 100% of the proceeds are donated there. And also our other merch is on there. You can also find a link to our Patreon. A dollar gets you in. We had Typhoid Taylor on this week. Dude, she told the doozy of a story of seeing her dad get fucking pistol whipped. She so. did. Spoiler alert, she did. Uh, yeah. So check that out. A uh, single dull hair. We'll give you that episode. And we also have a link to Kelly Holloran or at Wildwood Owl on Etsy. She makes cool shit for us and she makes cool shit in general. We also have a link to, I don't know why you need it though, anywhere to listen to us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or... um. If there's a place that has podcast streaming, we're on it. Anywhere podcasts are heard. So, yeah, that's that. Um, hmm. You know, I'm still battling with this inner demon of, is it cringy to say Hail Satan? Is it say not? Hail Hades. Hail, hail Hades. Hail, hail, you know. The hail, the hail always was not religion. The hail was always just doing it to it. The hail was always, um, damn, another one. So that's the hail was the friends we made along the way. It was. It was. So I'm, st- I'm still coping with it. Is it cringy or not? But you know what I mean. So uh-huh. when I say it, when uh-huh. I say it, you know. So yeah, hail that. Uh, hail grapes for which I squeeze them and I get delicious wine. Okay. <laughs> Didn't know where you were going with that, but then I forgot you were drinking <laughs> a glass of wine. <laughs> and it's gone, baby! Woo! That's very Dionysian of you. Thank you. It is. And I accept that. Yeah, Let's get the so. fuck out of here. Okay, bye. Bye!